Thank you, Daniel. It's one of my favorite songs. I appreciate you singing that. It's very appropriate for the message today. Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. I want you to take your Bible and locate two places. Acts chapter 4. And we will look in several places, a couple of places in the book of Acts this morning. And then Philippians chapter 2. Those two places, Acts chapter 4 and Philippians chapter 2. Uh, David, can you hear me back there? Okay. All right. Debbie, can you hear me? You're the one that's hard of hearing. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, I sure do love this church. That means I love you. So good to have uh, our missionaries here. They are uh, extended family in our church. And then to hear uh, Brother Daniel sing that song. Just to see you here. Sean, we'll miss you. I have such respect for you. I've told you that personally. I told Neil that a few weeks ago. Uh, Sean, some of you don't know him. He's quiet. Uh, he began to slip in back here and sit back there. Then he began to bring his co-workers. One day he brought in a whole row back there. It was just all of Sean and his co-workers. And here's a young man that moved here. Uh, by himself and attended church faithfully. And uh, God bless him. God's going to use you, my friend. I love you. And uh, we want you to move to Huntsville. Isn't that right, church? It'd be a good thing. We care for you a lot. How do you get people's attention? Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. I'll, I'll tell you one way to get someone's attention. Is you tell them that you want to tell them a secret. I have a secret I want to tell you. Boy, you have their attention. Um, If you want to sell a book, put the word secret in the title. If you want people to read a magazine article, uh, at the heading of the article, put the word secret. Now, it needs to be legitimate. It needs to be something that people don't hear talked about much, you know, Four secrets to a happy marriage. You know, four, four secrets to get rich. Now, most of us know, most of the time we read those things, and about one paragraph in, we know it's bogus. We've already knew that there's nothing secret about it. But secrets, secrets. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as I was preparing this uh, introduction, actually not the message, uh, I began to think about that one of my hobbies, I really never thought about this, but one of my hobbies is that I look for principles. Used to, when I would take notes in a sermon, I'd just write down everything. I'd write down the outline, I'd, but I don't do that anymore. I, I think it's a good thing to do, maybe. Early on I did that. I learned a lot of the Bible that way. But now when I... I'm listening maybe on a podcast or driving down the road or I may stop it even. Uh, even here when other people preach, I'm listening for principles. Could I encourage you when someone says, uh, uh, here's a principle. You need to stop and listen. Principles give wisdom. And by and large, uh, I have lived my life by principles and by commandments. God's commandments give his presence and his blessing. But principles, the book of Proverbs, give you wisdom. And so I'm always, in the Word of God, 
and in other places, I'm looking for, for principles. And I want to apply them in every area of my life. And one of the principles of the early church, one of the secrets, if you will, because we emphasize the mission of the church, which we ought to. The effectiveness of the church is the mission. But a lot of people know the mission of the church, but the church is, I'm talking about the local church, is not successful as she ought to be. And that's because one of the secrets of the early church in terms of her effectiveness was her harmony. And I think that's true of your family because a church is composed of families. And if your family is not in harmony, the local church will not be in harmony. The, the two words, the phrase, if you will, one accord is used 13 times in the Bible. 11 times it's used in the book of Acts. Isn't that interesting? And seven of those times in the book of Acts, it's used in a very positive way in terms of the unity of the local church. Over half of the times... Those two words, one accord, is used of the unity of the local church. My favorite expression of the togetherness of the church is found in Acts 4. I want you to look at it with me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Acts 4, 32. And the multitude, you may want to underline that those two words, the multitude. So this large group of people, uh, many historians believe that A quarter of a million people were saved in the city of Jerusalem. The early church was composed of a quarter of a million people, 250,000 people. And the multitude of them that believed, so this great crowd of people, notice this, were of one heart and of one soul. Now that that captures my attention. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And that doesn't mean they believed in socialism or communism because it was voluntary. They, the Spirit of God would move upon them and they sacrificed. But I, I love the reason they did that was because of what it says in the first part of the verse. The multitude that believed were of one heart and of one soul. They were in unity because of this internal work that the Holy Spirit had done in their heart. And the same thing is going to be true in your home. Now I want you to notice that the the unity there, the harmony was not coerced, it was not organized, it was not the result of structure. Now I think I said this last week, but if you have children you know this is true. If you have more than one kid especially. Now you two get along. You know, you go away and say, I'm going downstairs. You better get along. That works real good, doesn't it? It's because of the flesh. And you need to work a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And the same thing is in a church. And even in our, our state today, in our government, you hear people say, can't we get along? No, no. You cannot legislate love. You cannot legislate harmony. You cannot legislate unity. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. You say, well, preacher, isn't that kind of a pessimistic? Not really. And in a local church, I think sometimes we we want to legislate these things. We want to 
to coerce people. I've had people come to me and say, well, you need to fix this. You mean you want me to make them like you? Well, I can't do that. And what happens is they're frustrated or maybe it's a marriage or whatever. You see, when God saves us, He does a supernatural work in our hearts. And He gives us a desire to obey Him, but He also gives us a desire to, to love people and desire to be in harmony with one another. That's not just given in the New Testament, but it's told plainly in the Old Testament. Let me show you a place in Ezekiel. I think this is on the screen for you. In Ezekiel chapter 11, notice in verse 19. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. Notice a small s. And the Holy Spirit puts a new spirit, a new disposition in you. You change. You become humble. You become meek. And I will. I like this. I will take the stony, the cold and different heart out of you. And I will give them a heart of flesh, something that feels, something that has joy, something that can sorrow, something that loves, something that can grieve. That they may, look at look what God said, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. God gives you the desire and the ability to obey him. This is a transformative miracle. But did you notice the opening line? It's not just God does a work in you for obedience. But look what he said there in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them, look at this, I will give them one heart. He says, you are going to seek God together. Have you ever noticed that? We, we focus so much on the obedience aspect, and that's a wonderful thing. Wouldn't it be a, a terrible thing if if we had to... Obey God with a dry will. You know, I have to serve God. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. No. Listen, God saves us and He gives us the, the disposition. He gives us the desire to do that and the ability to do that. This, this, is, this is one of the things I love about the Lord is He changes me. But not only that, is He gives me one heart. But it's plural there. He says, I will give them. He gives me a desire to love people. He gives me a love for God's people. And we have one heart for the things of God, for the plan of God, for the people of God, for the work of God. One of the things that I, I love to study is the way the early church was characterized. You learn a lot about how, uh, what God expected of us, but... Uh, this is a, a really special term. You're in Acts chapter 4. What happened in Acts 3 is uh, Peter and John had healed a lame man. He had been that way for 40 years. And so uh, some of the religious leaders got upset because they began to preach the name of Jesus. They're in the courts of the temple. And people began to get excited about Jesus because of the power in the name of Jesus. Of course, he had been raised from the dead. He was in heaven now, ascended into heaven. And people began to be saved. It says this earlier in Acts 4. And these religious leaders, they had some, some judicial authority. And they arrested. The Bible says they put them in hold. There was a little place, a little jail there, if you were, 
as it were, in the area there, in the temple area, in the courtyard. And then the Bible says they couldn't do anything. They said, well, look, we cannot deny this man got healed. We can't hold them because they're going to come at us. The people like what happened. And then it says they threatened Peter and John. They said, you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they let them go. And if you look at your Bible, go back a few verses. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. Notice what they did. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Have you ever noticed that expression? They went to their own company. Now, sometimes we just read the King James Bible especially. You say, well, that's just old English. But that's the expression that they used for God's people back then. A part of their church. You know what the word means there? It means one's own personal and private friends. It means these were their best friends. Can I tell you something? I've been thinking about this for, I've had this prepared for a couple of weeks. You are my company. We, we talk about keeping company. And we, we think about that in a formal sense. You, you are my company. You're my best friends. I don't get to see you often. And even though I don't see you often, you're my best friends. And I yearn for heaven one day when there will be not only no night there, there will be no pain, no suffering, there will be no no time constraints there. No fatigue there. And this is my company. You are my company. And I look forward to coming on Sundays. This is not because I have we have one heart. God has done a work in my heart when I got saved. Where he not only gave me a desire and an ability to serve him and to obey him and to love him, but to love you and want to serve God with you and listen and want to get along with you and to forbear you and for you to forbear me because the mission is bigger than us. But even more than, well, I will overlook that for the mission's sake. I will overlook that for your sake because you're my company. You're my friends. And I love you more than whatever disagreement we may have. This is interesting, the same word there. When it said they went to their own company, as I began to study that word a couple of times in the book of Acts, when Paul went on his missionary journeys, I think it's two times in the book of Acts, Paul's team was referred to as Paul's company. Paul and Silas and his other friends, Luke, Paul's company. This was not an organized team where they just delegated tasks. These were people that carried burdens together. Now I want to ask you a question. The person behind you, the person in front of you, the person two rows behind you, the people that aren't here today maybe that are absent, How do you view them? Are they your company? I mean, can you just do without them? Is this church just a formal structure? Is this just something you attend because it's a tradition, because it's something? 
that you're supposed to do. The, the harmony in your home, the harmony in a local church is so important, <clears throat> is so precious to God, and so potent that Satan will do everything he can to destroy it. And if he, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says they were in one heart and one soul. Six verses later, six verses later in the Bible, in Acts 5 and verse 3, you want to look there? Six verses later. It's what the Bible says. But Peter said unto Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the land? Now, if you know the story, you know that they had lied and they were pretending to give everything when they hadn't given everything. Hypocrisy came into the church. And the devil began to create a foothold. The word devil means to slander. And Satan began to lie to them. They were one heart and one soul. Six verses later, he will do that in your family. He'll do that in your marriage. Kids, he'll do that between you and your parents, your siblings. And who do that in this church? Look at Acts chapter 6, the next chapter. Notice in verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, the church is still growing. There arose a murmuring, a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The word murmuring there means a complaining. It means a a quiet complaining. Now, that's an onomatopoeia. Pia, you know what that is, don't you? That's a word that sounds like what you're describing, like buzz. You're talking about a bee. Buzz or tick-tock, mutter, murmur. Those words are onomatopoeias. They sound like what you're describing. To murmur is, is to mumble, to be quiet, to complain quietly. Complaining is speaking to another person in a negative way about something about which they can do nothing about. And the enemy came in again. You know what he's trying to destroy? He's trying to destroy the harmony of this church. Now, sometimes in a romanticization of the early church, we have this imagination. We want to be like the early church. Well, in its in its really early stages, maybe in the first week, the first two weeks, things were well. But then Satan began to attack that church, and she began to have problems, much like other churches. The church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, watch this, that you all speak the same thing. I don't have time to really teach this, but you get the gist of it here. That there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together, 
in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. He tells the source who told him this. Watch this. That there are contentions among you. The word contentions comes from the word contend. And it means to quarrel, to debate, to argue, to dispute. It means conflict. Now that doesn't sound like a a pleasant fellowship. It doesn't sound like a, a pleasant home. And he's writing to this church. And he says, you, you folks are divided. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why were they divided? Well, Paul answers that question in chapter 3. And he says, you're divided. And listen carefully, church. Listen to what I'm about to say. You're divided because you're not listening to the Word of God. And you're not applying it. You hear it, but you're not listening. We hear a lot of things, but we don't listen. Sometimes I'll say that. I'll preach this. And they'll listen every now and then. Some of you know that's maybe a little habit I have, but I do it on purpose. Now listen. We hear it, but we don't listen. We don't apply it. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul wrote them and he said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, that is fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. You're, you're a Christian, but you're a baby. You're not spiritual. I have fed you with milk. He's talking about the basic doctrine, basic truths, but not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Now when you're a baby, you can't take meat. They can't digest it. And here's the problem, neither yet now are you able. You've been saved long enough, but you're not able to now. You ought to be digesting meat. That's what he's saying. You ought to be digesting this. But you're a baby Christian, you're a carnal Christian. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not yet carnal and walk as men? Now, friends, we we do not create unity. God creates the unity. But we are to maintain it. You hear that? God creates the unity, but we maintain it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Endeavoring, and here's what he tells him, to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates unity. But he says, you need to endeavor to keep it in the bond of peace. Now, earlier I talked to you and I said that we do not listen and apply the Word of God. And I told Mike last night after the meal, I said, I've been preaching in this one verse, really half of the verse for weeks. And I didn't say this to him because I love you. But I know privately some of you said, he's never going to get out of these verses. But I'll tell you why I've been on these verses, because they are crucial. You know, sometimes we'll, preachers will go through a verse, and, and you don't spend this much time on these verses all the time. But they'll read it and they'll go on. But these words are powerful. There, there are four qualities that help us maintain peace. They work in the church, they work in your home, and they're essential. 
And they are reflections of God. They are who God is. Now, a carnal person will have them. But if you're walking with God, you're applying the Word in your heart, you, you will have these qualities. And they're in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, He is a consoler. I preached a message on that. I'm not going to even go back with that now. If any comfort of love, love that motivates us to comfort others... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. And I want to stop at the third one today. And I want to talk to you about fellowship. And how that fellowship helps us to maintain harmony. Now usually we think about, we're going to have a fellowship tonight, which means we're going to have food. Now what is fellowship? Let me give you a definition I've given to you before. Fellowship is a relationship that's centered on Christ and His Word. That that is the core fellowship. It's a relationship that's centered on Jesus Christ and His Word, characterized by truth, authenticity, transparency, and trust. That's basically the definition of a good friend. Because unity is a byproduct of people that have Christ-centered relationships that are characterized by these qualities. When you have relationships with people that are Christ-centered and they have authenticity, they have transparency and trust, they're going to, they're going, you're going to have harmony. It doesn't mean you're going to agree all the time, but you're going to have harmony. You're not going to be offended easily. You're going to forgive willingly. You're going, you're going to give margin. You're going to believe the best. And there's going to be fellowship. Now look in the Bible there. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Where he says that it's called fellowship of the Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, this means two things. And then I'll give you some applications. Let me give this doctrinal foundation. Then I'm going to give some applications. Fellowship of the Spirit. Number one. It means we possess the Holy Spirit as Christians and we fellowship with Him. Now last week I gave you plenty of verses on this, that once you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. And you're to fellowship with Him. Now, the simplicity of the Christian life is fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with people. Loving God and loving people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, the Bible says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Now look at this. And the communion. Isn't this interesting? And the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now here's what he's doing. This is his benediction to the church at Corinth. And uh, this is one of the few verses in the Bible. the, The Trinity is mentioned. All three persons of the Godhead. And he says, In the communion of the Holy Ghost. The word communion there means to fellowship with or to communicate with. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Now, as you walk with God, listen carefully. That means you're interacting with the Word of God. You're confronted with the truth. You read it at home. You hear it in your small group. You hear it in church. You align your life with it, and here's what happens. 
When you change, you become more authentic. You become more real. God doesn't just change your behavior externally. He changes your spirit. And this is one of the keys to to fellowship. Because fellowship grows as you grow internally. Now, secondly, fellowship of the Spirit means that we have a relationship with each other as Christians through the Holy Spirit. It means that we're related to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says that we were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, that is, into the body of Christ, the very moment you believed, and you were not baptized into an emotion, you were not baptized into an experience, you were baptized into Christ. And uh, any other person that names the name of Christ and loves Jesus Christ, they're your brother and sister in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, For by one spirit are we baptized into one body. And notice all the ones. One spirit, one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. Are you drinking of his spirit? The word drink there means to supply with a resource of refreshment and strength. This is not an emotion. Sometimes it may be emotional, but don't seek, don't seek the experience. Seek God. One spirit, one body, one spirit, one family. You're my brother, you're my sister, but this is not just in the local church. Anybody that loves the name of Jesus, this is not just Baptist. Anybody that names the name of Christ has been born again. You're my brother, you're my sister. We are related, we're in the family of God. The local church is a place where we come to worship God, where we come to gather strength and encouragement so we can fulfill His mission. It's a place where we come to fellowship, where we come to make friends, where we come to deepen our friendship, where we come to help our friends, come to pray for one another, and to fulfill the one another commands, to exhort one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to love one another, bear one another's burdens, and there's several dozen of those commands. And that's how we that's how we grow, that's how we help one another. This is a place, this is a place of community. Now, I'm going to give you four observations about fellowship. I think this will help you. Number one, fellowship involves a personal walk with God. I've already hinted at this last week and a little bit this morning. But your fellowship, before you fellowship with people, you fellowship with God. Fellowship involves a personal walk with God. Intimacy with God precedes intimacy with others. You know, one of the best things you can do to, to have friends is to be a friend with God. Because God, God knocks, He polishes you up. He knocks the rough, rough edges off. You know, people, re, you know, the Bible says that God resists pride. So do people. You know, it will humble you being around God. Makes you more likable, makes you more lovable. You, you want to have friends? Hang around God. Be a godly man. It doesn't mean you won't have enemies, but you'll have more friends. In fact, quit trying to have friends. Be a friend. I've taught you that. 
But intimacy with God precedes intimacy with others. Let me give you a quote by one of my favorite writers, Neil Anderson. Here's what he said. He said, aloneness can lead to loneliness. You get that first sentence? Aloneness can lead to loneliness. God's preventative for loneliness is intimacy. Meaningful, open, sharing relationships with one another. In Christ, we have the capacity for the fulfilling sense of belonging, which comes from intimate fellowship with God and with other believers. Now, I cannot emphasize this too much, that my my vertical, watch this, my vertical relationship affects my horizontal relationship. Now, when I have relationships horizontally, when I'm having problems with my wife, my kids, my friends, I just need to call a timeout. I need to say, okay, God, what's going on here? Because this is not just one person. I'm having problems with Paula. I've had problems with kids. I've had problems with several people. It's not them. Something's wrong with me. And I need to get along with God and find out what's going on. Because this affects all of this. Vertical relationships always affect horizontal relationship. My sin drives a wedge and causes conflict with people. The depravity of my heart, my selfishness, my pettiness, my lack of forgiveness, my independent spirit, my jealousy, my, my desire to want to be first. All of these things come in and, and, and I become abrasive. And God says, son, I, I want to fix you, but you don't want to be fixed. I remember witnessing to a man one time and he said but I like the way that I am well you know I like the way that I am sometimes too and God says but I don't like that and other people don't like that God I need help the word saved means to be delivered God I don't just need to be delivered from hell I need to be delivered from me save me change me when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it not only affected their fellowship with God, it affected their fellowship with each other. I've learned that the closer I am to God, the easier I am to get along with. I hold my tongue better. I'm not as judgmental and critical. I'm more patient with the flaws of other people. And nobody in here, nobody in this room, and nobody watching has the ability in their self to deal with the inevitable growing conflicts over time. Because you're going to have conflicts. Luke 17, 1 says that you're, 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 going to get, you're going to hurt people's feelings and they're going to hurt you. It's going to happen. Preacher, they hurt my feelings. Oh, really? Welcome to the world. You're going to get your feelings hurt in church. Why do you think the church is any different than your home? You're going to get your feelings hurt. I'm going to hurt your feelings. You don't think you're not going to hurt my feelings? Are you, are you going to stay carnal? Are you going to become spiritual? Are you going to stay on the milk of the word? 
Are you going to grow up? I don't mean just say, well, I'll just be above it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about where you are a man or a woman of God. And you read 1 Peter 2 and 3 about how the Lord Jesus handled that and how men of, and women of faith, strong women of faith handled this. I think sometimes we say, well, we just, you just need to have good people skills. Well, that lasts as long as your flesh can handle it. And then God will have people keep pecking away until you realize that I've had it. And God says, I got you right where I want you. Because I've had them on that nerve for a long time to show you that, that that's your problem. It may be a coworker, it may be a family member. But if you want better fellowship with people, you've got to increase your fellowship with God. Um, we were talking, Mike and I and Sharon were talking this morning about instruments in the hands of Redeemer. That's kind of the theme of that book. But fellowship involves a personal walk with God. Secondly, fellowship involves agreement. The very word fellowship has that idea. It means to agree, to share. It means we have something in common. Now, what do we have in common? What are we agreeing on? We're agreeing on the, the, the basic core beliefs of Christianity, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We share Christ. We share Scripture. We share the Word of God. Fellowship is based on God and His truth, on who He is. And, the, and again, going back to what I just said, it, it, with my fellowship being with my walk with God, my most important fellowship is my relationship with the Lord. It's my agreement with Him. And once again, this you need to have a daily time with Him so you can get an agreement with Him and, then, and get in tune with Him, in agreement with Him. First, first Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called, now watch this, unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask a question. Have you fellowship with Jesus this week? I didn't ask you if you read your Bible. Now, you have to read your Bible to fellowship with Him. But you can read your Bible and not fellowship with God. Don't raise your hand. But how many have ever read your Bible and closed it? And five minutes later, you didn't know what you read. How many have ever read a section of Scripture and ten seconds later, you didn't know what you read? I've had that because I was preoccupied and I've had to go back and read it again. When I read the Bible, God speaks to me. When I pray, I talk to God. It's called a relationship. Have you fellowship with God? We're called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus, our Lord. You see, listen, this is the essence of your salvation. Please listen. God did not save you just to take you to heaven. If He did, he'd have, you'd have said, Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. They need to conk you upside the head and take you to heaven. God saved you so that you would know Him, so you would walk with Him, so you would be in agreement with Him. John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may, look at this, that they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. You know what eternal life is? That they may know God. Jesus is praying this prayer, that you may know God. 
Do you know the Lord? Does He know you? That's what it means to be saved. It's not getting a a free ticket out of hell. It's knowing God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him. Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And so, fellowship involves agreement. And in this sense, if you have a fellowship and you're having a meal... In the truest sense of the word, then you're really not having fellowship unless fellowship has a spiritual component to it. Just talking about the Braves is not fellowship unless you're fellowshipping over the Braves. Christian fellowship involves spiritual matters about what God has done and what He's doing, about your affections for Christ, about your concerns for one another. About bearing burdens. How can I pray for you? How are you doing? Really? That's what Christian fellowship is. It's, it's, a, it's a deeper level. And we're to abide on that level. The Bible says of the early church, in the early church, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that was the Bible then, And fellowship. You see that? The truth of God, and they fellowshiped around God's truth in breaking of bread and in prayers. And I want you to notice that they weren't learning the Bible so they could debate with other people. I want you to listen carefully about this. They weren't learning truth so they could win arguments. My children were waiting tables in a restaurant. And uh, they told me that frequently groups would come in and um, do a couple of things. Actually, um, they would uh, get one of the larger tables around lunchtime. And they would get a meal and they would pull their, their Bibles out and their study material. And then they would uh, become animated and begin to argue Now, you need to understand something, that most of the employees there are not Christians. And they would go by and they would watch these people with their Bibles opening, with scornful faces. That's not right. Now, let me show you another verse. Pointing and pounding. And and then finally, at the end, closing their Bibles, shaking hands. But in the meantime, there had been debates. And then... Literally leaving dollars on the table, dollar tips. Five people, five $1 bills after they'd stayed for several hours. And my kids said, Dad, there's such a poor testimony. The anger, the vitriol, the debate. I wish they would not come in the store because people know that I'm a Christian. And they sit there with their open Bibles. This is not the purpose of... Bible study, it's not, that's not fellowship. The Bible says that they were in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship. Now, there may be a place for clarification, but our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing. You know, one of my favorite questions for people is, is, is what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your life? And then listening. How are you doing? I love that question. You know what one of my favorite questions is? And some of you that spent time with me, you say, oh, that's, that's you. So that's why you asked me that. How is your world? How is your world? You see, some questions, we, when you say, how are you doing? We say that all the time. But you have to rephrase things sometimes, get people to stop and think. That's why I ask these questions. I, I want to probe a little bit. Say, so why do you do that? Because I'm a friend. If you're my friend, you have permission to do that. If you're my friend. The Bible says of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, a righteous man in the way he lived. He was righteous before God. He was perfect in his generations. He was a man of integrity. And Noah walked with God. Noah's walk had affected him before people, the way he related to people. He was a different man. He was a a unique man. And this agreement that he had with God because of his consistency, because of his fellowship with God, it changed him. He was a different man. He stood out. He was different. Now, this alignment, this agreement will cause you to be restrictive in some area in your personal relationships. It means you can't, you can't be close with everybody. I want you to listen carefully. Your closest friends ought to be Christians. You, need, you can be friends with anybody. And I know this goes counter with what some people would say, but I think it's biblical. But your closest friends need to be Christians. Especially in marriage. You need to make sure that who you marry is a Christian. I remember when I was a youth pastor and early on in my uh, youth pastor days, I would say something like this. You need to, to date someone that is ahead of you spiritually. And then I changed that years later as, you know, when you get wiser and I realize that someone can be ahead of you spiritually, but they're just stalled. And sometimes a the measurement there is just they know more than you, but they plateaued. They're ahead of you, but you're, you're growing. And I changed to this. You need to date a growing Christian because that's different. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, yoke was an implement of work that they would put on animals. Had a, I wish I had a picture of it for you, but they had two places, and they would put oxen in there, and, and they would pull the implements for the farm to do the work. But you didn't want an unequal yoke. What does that mean? You wanted two oxen. You didn't want an ox and a donkey. You know why? Because they had two natures. If you put an ox and a donkey, you're not going to get anything done. The ox was a hard worker. He work all day. That donkey was stubborn. He put his feet in. You're not going to get anything done. They have two separate natures. You're going to get two results. 
And Paul takes that illustration, he applies it to us. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what? And notice, here's what he does. He makes a contrast with righteous a contrast with righteousness and unrighteousness. And he uses different synonyms to represent righteousness as unrighteousness and also with fellowship. So, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And here's a rhetorical question. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? You see the question? There is no fellowship with righteousness and unrighteousness. Now, Jesus was a, a friend of sinners. Absolutely he was. But he wasn't like sinners. Did you hear me? Are you listening? He loved sinners. He was, but he wasn't like sinners. There's a big difference. And what communion, there's a synonym for fellowship, hath light with darkness. And he expands a synonym for righteousness and unrighteousness. Light and darkness are very different. And what concord, another synonym for fellowship, has Christ with Belial or Christ with the devil? Or what part, that means part of a whole, the piece of a whole, hath he that believeth with an infidel or an unbeliever? And we're talking about agreement. Here it is. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You don't go into an idolatry factory with the temple of God. And here's a conclusion for you. The temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, the word separate there, here's what it means. It means to set boundaries. It means I'm not going to go there. It comes from the word horizon. It means to mark off. I can't go there. I love you, but I can't go there. I'm not a snob, but I can't go there. Come out from among them. I can't do that. I can't date you. I can't be there. And touch not the unclean thing. And here's what the Lord says. I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And notice this is conditional. Here's what he's saying. He says, And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God is saying this. He says, my, my personal relationship is contingent upon this agreement, upon your fellowship with me. And you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in commitment to me. So if you're not to marry an unbeliever, it's logical that you're not to date an unbeliever. Date a growing Christian. And let me show you how this works. Is Paul in here? Will you come up here? I'll show you something. Not show Paul. I'll show you something. I show this to couples. Sometimes you've seen this. Come up here, huh? You can help me with this. I know you're thrilled with this. I know. Well, Pastor Paula, now you stand right over here. Now, you get over there, right over there, okay? Now, we're going to let this be Jesus. This represents Jesus. Now, the highest intimacy a person can have is in the spirit, spirit, soul, and body. With my spirit, I interact with God. My soul, I interact with people. My body, I interact with 
with things, fleshly things, physical things. Um, This is as close as I can get to another person psychologically and physically. Now, you can say, well, you can reach out and touch. Yeah, but I'm talking about the height of intimacy. This was broken. This is what Adam and Eve broke. This is why people argue. You can go to a psychiatrist. You can read books. You'll never become close until you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit. So what we need to do is we need to agree that we're going to seek God together. Okay? So, Paula, you seek Jesus, and I'll seek. So you pursue after Jesus, okay? And I'm going to pursue after Jesus. And as we pursue after Jesus, we get close. Now, that works in your marriage, but it works in your friendships. My best friends are people that I pursue Jesus with. It's not just the people I play ball with. It's not just the people that I grew up with. And it's not just the people I went to church. You can, grow to ch- you can go to church with people and not pursue Jesus. Thank you, hon. Listen, there's some, there's some people in the church you shouldn't spend time with. You're not better than anybody. You understand? You're not better than anybody. But are they in agreement are they in agreement? Fellowship has to do with being in agreement. Number three, fellowship involves love. Not only loving each other, but loving the same things. We're dwelt by the same Spirit. We have the same book, the same Heavenly Father. M.R. DeHaan said, We need not all agree, but if we disagree, let us not be disagreeable in our disagreements. And we need to love one another and give people margin. Fellowship means to share. It means to share our resources, not just our money, but our time. Time's more important. Some people give money because they don't want to give their time. It means to give your energy to pray for people. Jerry Bridges, a great writer, said this. He said, there are many elements that go into the total concept of fellowship as it is ascribed in the New Testament. But the sharing together and suffering is one of the most profitable. It probably, that is, suffering unites our hearts together in Christ more than any other aspect of fellowship. I believe that. Because, listen, the church is not a museum, it's a hospital. And it's where broken people come, hurting people, imperfect people. And, 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 and I'm, I'm chief among you. Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. And we need him. We need him. We need Christ. John Ortberg, the author, one of my favorite authors, here's what he said. If there were ever a true just as I am church, if there were a community where everybody could bring their baggage and brokenness with them, Without neat and tidy happy endings quite yet, if ever there was a group where everybody was loved and no one pretended we could not make enough room inside the building. I believe that's true. I believe that's true, John. You know, we often think of fellowship as 
just having the meal and so forth, but it's about love. It's about helping people. Um, the church at Philippi, fellowship with Paul, you're in Philippians 4. Notice in verse 14. Notwithstanding ye have done well, you have well done, that ye did communicate. That means to participate, to share. The root word is the word fellowship. With my affliction. He's in prison. How did they do that? They gave him some money. They helped him. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when he first started his ministry, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated. It's the word fellowship. To share by distribution. To partake with. As concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. You fellowshiped with me. You fellowshiped with me. You helped me. You blessed me. You helped me. I'm going to close this sermon. I have, I have another point. I may give it to you next time, but I'm going to close it. I've gone too long here, but I'm going to tell you a story. You know, when we suffer like Paul did, he said, you communicated with me in my affliction. You fellowshiped with me. You gave me money. But sometimes we don't give money. We give other things. I was preaching in uh, in Delaware at a men's conference. I preached up there a bunch. And I'd, I've known these men for a number of years. And I heard the story. One man's name is John. The other man's name is Dan. They were in the same Sunday school class together. John became very sick. John needed a new kidney. He had kidney failure. He wasn't that old in his 50s. And he shared it with the group. He said, I, uh, I've got to have a new kidney. I have kidney failure. Please pray for me that I'll find a match. Some of you have experienced that. Maybe in your family have heard of it. And just to find someone. Nobody in my family can do it. And I, I need a kidney. The class prayed for me. For him. One man in the class named Dan, he went home and He loved John. About a week later, so he went to his wife, and Dan went to his wife, and he said, I've been thinking, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't even know if I'd be a match, but I'm thinking about donating one of my kidneys. He said, John, what, what would you think about it? She said, well, if, if, that's what you, if that's what God has placed upon your heart, I would support that. And Dan went and had all of the blood work and everything else done. It came back and he was a perfect match for his brother John. He went into the hospital and from what I know the surgery is a difficult surgery, but it's especially difficult for the donor. And he gave one of his kidneys where he only has one, but he gave his one kidney to his brother you talk about two men who know the fellowship of the Spirit. I gave you a picture of that, I think, if you could put that up there. If you have that. And there they are. That's John on the left with the beard, and that's Dan on the right. That's post surgery several years after that. So, guys, I want to take your picture. You remind me so much of, of what pure love is about the love of God.
My question for you today is, is, is are you fellowshipping? And, and I read the quote a while ago about how that sometimes fellowship is, is giving something. It's, it's not just money. And maybe it's not, you can't give a kidney maybe, but you know, sometimes we will have a, a time where we greet one another. Do you ever go to strangers that you've never met? Or do you just always go to the same people? Do you, ever, do you know how lonely it is to go into a church you've never been in before? It's very difficult. You're taking a chance. I would just encourage you to find people or maybe somebody that's been in their church for a while and you don't know them well. And don't just always play it safe. And just greet people. You may make a friend out of it. A lifetime friend. The nature the nature of unity. Should you bow your heads with me if you would? I'll finish this up later. The Bible calls this a fellowship of the Spirit. I wonder this morning if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. Are you here today? You've never been born again. You don't know Jesus as your Savior personally. You've never trusted Him. You need to be saved. He died for you. He was buried and He rose again. He wants you to trust Him. He can change you, not only give you a place in heaven, but He can give you a life worth living now. He can give you a heart to serve God with other people. He can give you some friends, I'll be honest with you. Best friends I have are my brothers and sisters. I wonder if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, you know, God spoke to me about deepening my fellowship. I'm kind of a loner. And to be honest, Rick, I choose to be that way. And I'm going to tell you something. Can I say this? I understand that. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. And sometimes I prefer to be alone. But sometimes God doesn't want me to be. He wants me to go out and help people. And go find, go find the one sheep. Go find the broken. And I've had to learn to overcome my insecurities. And be involved in ministry. While you sit there, would you ask God to help you with that? Help you with your fellowship. Our Heavenly Father, as we leave today, I pray that you would deepen the fellowship of our church as we've learned a little bit today about what it means to have unity in Friendship Baptist Church and in our homes. May our best friends be our family members and And in this room and other brothers and sisters in Christ all over the place. Help us to love lost people as we go out today. Some to restaurants. Help us to be friendly and kind. Supportive and encouraging. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today.